Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The terrorist group Hamas is still holding as many as nine Americans hostage. When will they be released? The lead starts right now. More hostages just set free, including two Russian women. But with the U.S. continuing to play such a pivotal role in negotiations, why are so many Americans still in the hands of Hamas? Some of their families sat down for a CNN exclusive with me this afternoon. There's so many other hostages who have not yet been released, and time is of the essence. And... more needs to be done and the work needs to continue swiftly. Plus, what we're learning about talks underway to extend the pause in fighting so more hostages can be released. And the urgency to verify this horrible claim Hamas just made that the youngest hostage that they kidnapped, a 10-month-old baby and his family, are now dead. Welcome to The Lead, I'm Jake Tapper, and we start today with our world lead as we are watching and we are waiting for this sixth group of hostages to return to Israel. Sources tell CNN that at least one American is expected to be included in today's release. Two other hostages, both Russians who moved to Israel, were also freed today. CNN teams were on the ground as a van carrying the two women was met by a cheering crowd holding Israeli flags. Today is day six of this temporary pause in fighting and the deal between Israel and Hamas to pause fighting is set to expire in just a few hours. But top Qatari officials tell CNN that negotiators are working toward another extension of this pause and that they are, quote, very optimistic a deal will be announced. Israel has previously said it would agree to longer pauses as long as 10 hostages are released each and every day. Today, the Israeli military confirmed that they are investigating a new claim made by Hamas that the youngest hostage Hamas kidnapped, 10-month-old baby Kfir Bibas, and his family members are no longer alive. The terrorist group claims, without providing any evidence, that Kfir and his four-year-old brother Ariel and their mother Shiri were killed in an Israeli airstrike. All three of them were kidnapped by Hamas on October 7th from kibbutz near Oz. A statement from the Bibas family says, quote, we're waiting for this information to be confirmed and hopefully refuted by military officials. And perhaps their skepticism is driven by the claims of a different terrorist group earlier in the war. They claimed a female hostage had been killed only for her to be released later in the war, very much alive. Today I sat down with five families of American hostages still being held captive in Gaza. We talked about the efforts underway right now to get all the rest of the hostages out. We'll air some of that conversation in moments, but we're going to start today 
with CNN's Jeremy Diamond. He's in Ofakim in southern Israel. And CNN's Clarissa Ward, she is in Tel Aviv. Jeremy, the, the convoy carrying the two hostages, the, the Russian-Israeli uh, women, uh, released today, drove right by your location. Yeah, that's right, Jake. And listen, over the last six days, we have watched as 83 hostages have been freed uh, by Hamas, some of them as part of this framework agreement between Israel and Hamas. But those last two women that we saw were not part of that framework agreement. They are Russian-Israeli citizens, freed, it appears, based on a side agreement between Hamas and the Russian government. But the scenes of absolute jubilation as these two women, very much Israeli citizens, uh, came right through our location uh, were something to behold. We have watched, of course, over the last six days as we have seen scenes of families being reunited with loved ones uh, held after 50 days uh, or so of captivity. But tonight we saw but tonight we saw uh, what was effectively the Israeli community as a whole uh, welcoming these people home. We have seen these scenes and we just understand that those Russian women have now uh, arrived at a hospital just moments ago. Uh, we are still waiting to see, Jake, what uh, the fate is of those 10 Israeli women and children who are set to be released today as part of that broader framework agreement. Uh, we expect that that would happen tonight, but so far no sign that they have been handed over yet uh, to the Red Cross. Actually seeing uh, images of them right now uh, live on the right side of the television. We believe these are images of uh, these uh, hostages being released uh, this evening. It is 11.05 p.m. in Tel Aviv, and we believe that these are images uh, of the hostages uh, being uh, released. And as we, as we, these are, these are the uh, two Russian women, I'm being told, uh, in uh, being released. Um, Clarissa, as we watch these images uh, of the, the two Russian women, uh, Israeli officials uh, previously said that the Bibas family uh, was not in Hamas custody. Um, they had been taken by Hamas, but they had been handed over to a different uh, terrorist group, I believe the PFLP, um, but but now officials say they're looking into this claim by Hamas uh, that three members of the of the family, including ten month old Kfir, uh, have have been killed. Has has the IDF commented at all on this? So far, Jake, they have really only said that they are assessing the accuracy of the information that they hold Hamas fully responsible. Uh, for the, the, the fate of these uh, hostages. We've also now heard on Israeli television from a family member, a, a cousin of the Bibas family, who said that they have been approached by the Israeli military to make them aware of these claims. Uh, in this interview, this cousin said quite firmly that their belief is that Hamas is 100% responsible uh, for keeping them alive. I believe his words were, uh, they took them out of Israel alive. It's their responsibility to return them to Israel alive. This, of course, on the heels of this claim from Hamas uh, that Shiri Bibas, the mother, and her two sons, Ariel and Kfir, who, as you mentioned, is just 10 months old, uh, were killed as the result of an Israeli airstrike. This is a story, Jake, that, of course, has galvanized the world's attention, um, but also really has galvanized attention here in Israel. We saw an event recently where people released red balloons into the sky 
That's obviously a reference to the fact that these two little boys both have bright red hair. So this is a story that, that people all over have been following very closely, have been shocked by in terms of just how young they are, and obviously uh, desperately want to believe that this information is incorrect, that it's some kind of psychological warfare or simply misinformation. At this stage, Jake, we don't know yet. And it may be some time before we do know uh, concretely because there is so much misinformation and frankly, not a lot of clarity coming from Hamas at all as to the whereabouts and who is in possession of which hostages who are still inside Gaza of those 159 that the IDF uh, estimates are remaining in Gaza, Jake. Right, and we already saw that false claim uh, made earlier in the war about one hostage dying and she was just released a few days ago, very much alive. Jeremy, uh, where do negotiations stand right now on extending the current pause, which is due to expire in just a few hours? Well, Jake, there hasn't been any announcement yet of that truce being extended, so we can assume that those negotiations are still ongoing, hopefully perhaps in their final stages, at least for the families of hostages who still remain in Gaza, who are hoping that this truce can be extended in order to get their family members out. I can tell you that earlier today I spoke with a U.S. official as well as a senior Israeli official who both told me that things were on track, that there was good progress being made. We also heard a spokesman for the Qatari Foreign Ministry tell our Caitlin Collins uh, that he was hopeful that there could be an agreement to extend that truce. But one thing's been made abundantly clear to me uh, by that senior Israeli official, which is that Israel is focused on getting all women and children home first before they move on to a next phase of a potential agreement with Hamas that would see the release of men and Israeli soldiers also released. Effectively, that if there is an extension for of one day, perhaps two days going forward, it would be still very much focused on those women and children who are still believed to be held uh, captive uh, inside of Gaza. Now, uh, there's questions about how we move forward here, uh, enormous questions about the price that would have to be paid by Israel to get those men and Israeli soldiers, but uh, Israeli officials saying that that is not a matter for now. They want to first see all those women and children get back home first before they move to the next phase. All right, Clarissa Ward, Jeremy Diamond in Israel, thanks so much. As the world watches to see if this temporary pause in fighting can be extended so more hostages can be released. For those who still have family members being held hostage by Hamas, the, the stakes could not be any higher. And just a few minutes ago, I sat down with five of those families, five American families with an exclusive, for an exclusive interview. They, they were gathered in D.C. to push lawmakers here and, and the White House to do everything they can to, to try to help bring back these Americans to home, their homes. One of the first things I just want to say is, because you are Americans, is we were um, honoring Rosalind Carter yesterday, and we were talking about the hostage crisis because of Jimmy Carter. And that was a hostage crisis that we had where Americans were taking hostage. And we have another hostage crisis right now. And we have Americans in this country who are actually rooting for the hostage takers. And it's absolutely mind-blowing to me. And as people who have loved ones who have been taken hostage, I can't imagine what it's like for you. Um, and I'm just wondering what you think 
and what you feel when you see people... I'm not talking about people marching for Palestinian rights. That's a separate issue. But specifically marching in support of Hamas. As we know, those are two different issues. What is that like? This shouldn't be a political issue. This is a strict humanitarian issue. You have 240 abducted right now, 160. This should be, uh, you know, any person just looking at this issue should, should sympathize, think about it. It could have been your son, it could have been your daughter, your mother. People taken from their beds, people taken from their houses. It's, it's not the same. I think it's a lack of education, uh, whatever is going on uh, protest-wise, and um, to see the Hamas as a freedom fighter, it's, it's fundamentally wrong. That's what I think. It's not an Islam issue. Islam, if you talk to Karim Abdul-Jabbar, I'm sure he will tell you, Islam is not about raping women, beheading kids, burning people alive. So I think people uh, should understand the facts. To me, it's just sad and scary, really, that people choose to take side or not even look at what the issue really is or see our children, our wives, fathers, you know, as people for what they are. They don't even bother looking at the story. They just make judgment based on lack of facts and lack of education. It's just scary to me. Unfortunately, we've, we've moved to a place where people want a simple evil and good, and then they make their decision based upon that. It's a complicated issue. And yeah, you need to spend time to understand it before formulating an opinion. Another round of hostages um, are going to be released today, uh, and we're, family, we're told that families have been notified, and, and sadly, none of you um, were notified. Uh, another, another day gone by, um, and no no word of your loved ones, and I'm just wondering. I know you're happy for those who have had loved ones released, and but for those of you who are waiting for word of Omer. It it's really tough. It's really tough. I mean, we're happy to see anyone being released, but for me personally, Omer is, is a man. He's, he's my son. He's 22 years old. He's not in the conversation yet, it's, and it's, it's really bad. Maybe Jake, a way to, to visualize? Yeah. No time. Tick-tock, tick-tock. What is that? Why is there no time? What, do you, what, do you, what does that symbolize to you? It symbolizes after 54 days. We have no idea on the physical condition as well as sign of life. This is against any international law, even in times of conflict. The people walking this planet, there is basic principles that are agreed upon. And in this case, the Hamas terrorist organization has decided not to abide by those principles. We have the International Red Cross, Doctors Without Borders, wanting to go in and are not allowed in. Question is why? You guys met with the Red Cross? <laughs> what did you have to say to them? first thing we said was we want to have signs of life. Um, we also want to know if people who are in Gaza, who were hostages, are healthy, what their condition is. They are the first people that see these hostages. We have hostages who are coming back emaciated. They've lost lots of weight. They're dirty. 
They have no light in them. They've been in the dark in so many ways. They're not healthy. Yeah. And the Red Cross is, their responsibility is to transfer them, but their responsibility also is to be the voice and to tell us what is happening. So while we understand their fragile position where they need to be on the ground and we want them there and they do good work, we also want them to advocate for the folks that are still in Gaza. So on my show yesterday, we talked about accounts that we have heard from loved ones of hostages who have been released. Um, a little boy kept in solitary confinement. We saw a little girl, that little Irish Israeli girl. Clearly the light has gone out in her eyes. Um, talked about being kept in the box. She thought she was kept away from her family for a year. She thought it had been a year. Um, another child shown videos from October 7th. These are just a, a handful of accounts. Um, this is how the kids were kept. Also heard about women being kept in cages. It's, it's just, it's awful. On one hand, it's sick, devastating. You know, I think the- It's depraved, I mean, it's- It's barbaric. Inhumane. Inhumane, inhuman, yeah. Um, I use the word Holocaust. You know, I come from, um, my family is a Holocaust survival. You know, we feel like it's all over the Holocaust again, happening to us. I asked this group if they thought President Biden was doing enough to get their loved ones released. This is a group of Americans. Their response to that question is next. And we are back with breaking news. Israel says that this sixth group of hostages has been uh, freed by Hamas in exchange for some uh, Israeli prisoners, Palestinians. Um, and the sixth group is now in the hands of the Red Cross. The hostages are still in Gaza and they are currently en route to Israel. The IDF says that this new group includes 10 Israelis and four Thai nationals. We are still waiting to see if one of those Israelis is a dual Israeli-American citizen, as was expected today. Let's go back to more from our exclusive interview with five American families who had loved ones kidnapped by Hamas on October 7th. We sat down in Washington earlier today as these families are, are trying to push U.S. lawmakers and the Biden administration to do more, to do everything they can to bring their loved ones home. As we sit here, the Israeli military is assessing claims made by Hamas um, that the youngest hostage, 10-month-old Kfir Bibas and his mom, were killed. Hamas is claiming that they were killed by an Israeli airstrike. Obviously, whoever kidnaps a baby and a mom, they're responsible for what happens to them, regardless of how they were killed. I'm wondering if any of you want to comment on this awful news. Again, we don't know if it's even true, right? I, I think the family came out with a statement saying that they are looking at the facts and hoping for good news, but that's part of the psychological warfare that Hamas is doing. And going back to Liz's comment about the international red costs, they need to be the witness. They are the conscious of the international community and need to speak up and be vocal about what they are seeing 
and calling them out for these types of acts that they are doing. The whole world needs to speak up. We, we don't feel that the international community is, is appalled the way they should be. It's, it's a humanitarian crisis at the highest level, and there don't seem to be enough outrage out there. There are over 30 different nationalities being held hostage today. And I think, you know, we've seen the success with the release of some hostages over the past several days. And the U.S. government, Israel, Egypt, Qatar are working together. And I'm really grateful for that. That's how my aunt Aviva, how Abigail have been released. But there's so many other hostages who have not yet been released and time is of the essence. Do any of you think that President Biden is not doing enough? That he needs to be doing more? It's okay if you feel that way. If I had a loved one in captivity, I probably would think that nobody's doing enough. We have heard President Biden expressing uh, the hostages as top priority, but we're still sitting here 54 days later, with eight of us, eight families, still waiting for the loved ones. I think Biden and administration, they do um, more than enough since the uh, first day. Um, but the math shouldn't fool us, which means if every day 10 people being released, it doesn't mean necessarily that two weeks from now, the remaining 140-something hostages will be out. So that's the main concern. You talked about how you don't think that you're getting enough support from the world. And I'm sure you know that one of the reasons that is, and there are probably many reasons, but one of the reasons that is is because many people in the world think that the IDF's response has killed too many innocent Palestinians. Um, the IDF says they're going after Hamas, and Hamas embeds with the population, and they're not trying to kill civilians but Hamas goes where the population is. That's the reason. Do you think that the IDF should be focusing more, not just the IDF, that Netanyahu should be focusing more on the hostages, getting them out, saving them, and the time for going after Hamas should come later? At the uh, beginning of the conflict, I think the Israeli government was more focused on going after Hamas. I think the fact that the Families have come together. We each feel collectively that we have 240 new family members. And I think the success of the families being together and being able to unite around the hostage issue and getting the people of Israel behind us has changed the perception of the government of Israel. The hostages have been 54 days somewhere in the dark in Gaza. It is an immediate need. The immediacy of getting these hostages out, a young man like Hirsch, who had his arm blown off, mm. he doesn't have days to wait. Yeah. And so little people, big people, mothers, brothers, young women who we know are not being treated well in Gaza, yeah. they need to get out. Yeah. And so when we talk about it, none of us are talking about this politically. We're talking about it as a human crisis. Yeah. And so for... Me, the issue of how do we finish with the work of Hamas and getting rid of them, let's put it aside for a second. And let's just focus on getting these 150 folks 
people, our family, our relatives out and getting them safe. That should be everyone's priority right now. All I can say is I hope that your loved ones get home soon. And I know for the ones of you that have men being held hostage who are not top priority because women and children and older people are being um, prioritized. And people in the IDF, um, they will be last on the list. And um, I'm so sorry for that. It's time to change this equation, right? Who said that? You know, where, where, where is it coming from? We believe collectively that anybody from any group should be released. There should be a mixed group from now on. Yes, we 100% agree that children, being the sensitive souls that they are, should have been released first. But from now on, there should be a consideration of men and women, old and young, soldiers and civilians. They all should come out. They're all the same. There should be representation of each and every group coming out. What do you want anybody watching right now to know about your loved one? What should somebody who's watched this and is sitting at home afterwards, what should they know about him? Idan is an American kid. He graduated last year from uh, Tenafly High School. He loves parties. He's got tons of friends. He's a professional swimmer. He loves the good life. He's a real foodie. Like, mm -hmm. he knows all the restaurants. Like, we've been in concert everywhere. Like, he's it amazing. He doesn't belong it there. Belongs like, with us, with the family. As simple as that. Yeah. Tell us about Omer. What, what, what do you want people to know about Omer? Omer is a kind person that when he comes to the room, he just captured everybody's attention just because of his sheer size and, and kindness and, and, and uh, he loves playing basketball and admires the NBA and the NFL. Just American kid. He, he belongs at home. What about Itai? What do you want us to know about Itai? He's a very talented kid. He sings, he dances, so he's typically the life of the party. Uh, he has been in the Boy Scouts uh, until the age of 18, so he mentors young kids. And maybe the most important part, uh, his, uh, he and his older brother play you know, NBA 2K. So uh, uh, I get my ass whooped by my uh, eldest son, so he needs his youngest, younger brother to come back so he could you know, go back and play with him NBA 2K. Emily, tell us about your Uncle Keith. What do you want us to know about him? My Uncle Keith is a really gentle, kind father and grandfather. He grew up in North Carolina. That's where I'm from. Um, and family is just everything to him. And he needs to be returned to be with his grandchildren and his wife and his children. I want them all home soon. Thank you for talking to us. And my thanks to the Naftali, Khan, Nutra, Alexander, and Waslowski families for taking their time today talking about such a horrible subject, dealing with such an agonizing ordeal. Coming up next, deadly force beyond the borders of Gaza, Israel's military raiding the West Bank. Uh, they appeared to result in two children being shot and killed. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. An explosion of violence in the occupied West Bank this week, where years of drawn-out bloodshed have only intensified since October 7th. Israeli forces raided the Jenin refugee camp last night. Today, the Palestinian Ministry of Health says the IDF killed two Palestinian children. CNN's Ben Wiedemann speaks with a mother there who says her son died after Israeli forces shot him and refused to let him seek medical care. We must warn you, this report contains some disturbing video. Israeli forces with bulldozers and jeeps entered the camp under the cover of darkness. This has become a routine. And this is the usual aftermath. Wreckage and rubble, asphalt roads plowed down to the dirt. Once the damage is repaired, there's another raid, and it's the same thing all over again. For almost two years, a low-intensity war has been raging in the occupied West Bank. Residents here in Jenin's refugee camp say that there have been more than 30 Israeli military incursions since August of this year. The camp is home to militants who Israel has accused of involvement in attacks on Israelis. But here, those whom Israel calls terrorists are seen as fighters against a decades-long military occupation. Wadiam Kaskas is not a fighter. He works for the local government. Kaskas is the kids' room. But last week, Israeli soldiers took over his home during yet another raid. As he shows me around, the remains of what was a family's life crunch under our shoes. Brutal is how Wadia sums up the soldiers' behavior. Scars of battles past pockmark the camp's walls, debris on almost every corner. Um Sami shows me spent cartridges on the floor of her house, saying Israeli troops used this room to fire down into the street. They took my husband, bound his hands and pushed him outside in the cold, she says. They kept him there from six in the evening until five in the morning. Eventually, the soldiers let him go, but took away her recently married son after ransacking his bedroom, searching for weapons. 18-year-old Mahmoud Abu al was shot last Thursday evening, shot through his bedroom window. His mother, Khitam, holding a blood-stained towel, recounts how Israeli soldiers wouldn't allow medics to take him to hospital. I was sure we were going to the hospital, she says. We went downstairs. A second officer was there and made the medics put the stretcher down. Mahmoud bled to death in front of his home. 
Tuesday night, Israeli forces raided the camp again, sparking gun battles with militants. And in the process, Israeli troops killed at least four people, including this eight-year-old boy. And then they left. And in addition to that eight-year-old boy, Israeli troops shot dead a 14-year-old. Two others died because Israeli forces prevented ambulances from reaching uh, the hospital. Now, at this point, the number of Palestinians killed in the West Bank is approximately 450. Killed this year, that is. 100 of them, at least, were children. Jake? CNN's Ben Wiedemann. Thank you. Coming up, I'm going to speak with two members of Congress about how much persuasion, if any, the Biden administration has in negotiations to get more Americans out of Hamas custody. Also ahead, an alleged murder-for-hire plot and the man accused of trying to assassinate a Sikh political activist in New York City. Stay with us. Breaking news, an American citizen has been freed in today's hostage exchange, a source confirms to CNN. Let's get straight to CNN's MJ Lee. MJ, what do we know? Well, Jake, this is very good news to report. Uh, I am told by a source familiar that Liat Benin, a dual Israeli-American citizen, uh, is now in the hands of Red Cross officials. Uh, she has been released from captivity by Hamas in Gaza. Uh, this would mark, Jake, the second successful release of an American citizen uh, since the beginning of this truce. Uh, Benin and her husband have been missing since their kibbutz was attacked on October 7th. Uh, According to her father, she is a high school and civics history teacher, and she is also a tour guide at the World Holocaust Remembrance Center in Jerusalem. Uh, remember, Jake, the White House had said all along that they believe there are uh, three American women and children who would be released as a part of this initial deal. We, of course, saw four-year-old Abigail Adan, who was released on Sunday. Now we, again, of course, have confirmation uh, of Liat Benin having uh, now been transferred to the hands of Red Cross officials. So now we are waiting on the status of this second uh, American woman. No word uh, from the White House or the administration on just her condition or her whereabouts or even uh, whether or not she may be released. And I can tell you, Jake, uh, the news of uh, Liat Benin now being in the hands of Red Cross officials, uh, of course, this is good news. But as far as the White House is concerned, uh, which right now is not commenting uh, on this name, uh, there's not going to be a sigh of relief until they know that she is actually physically in Israel and in safety. Jake. M MJ, what do we know about the role of the U.S. in negotiations right now for more hostages to be released? Well, the hostages release, of course, has been such a focal point uh, for this White House. And basically, the reason that U.S. officials have been pushing so hard uh, for this current truce to be extended is because a longer truce means more hostages getting out. We were just talking about this second uh, American citizen woman whose condition we don't know anything about. Uh, not to mention there are at least seven other unaccounted for Americans uh, whose 
uh, who are still in captivity, who are still believed uh, to be held hostage by Hamas, uh, that would come in the next stage of the negotiations for additional hostages to be freed. But where we are at right now is that women and children are being freed. Our reporting is that there could be two additional days at least of hostages from Hamas that could get two days of additional uh, pause in fighting. Uh, but then after that, there are going to be discussions about the men, the IDF soldiers, sort of the next category of people uh, that U.S. officials and, of course, Israeli officials very much hope to see released. Jake. Okay. To recap, MJ Lee, uh, one of the nine Americans held hostage by Hamas, uh, Liat Benin, uh, 49 years old, a youth educator in Israel. Uh, and she also gives tours of Yad Vashem, the, the Holocaust Remembrance Site there, mother of three, uh, has been uh, released. A source familiar tells MJ Lee, our, our White House correspondent, uh, her husband, Aviv, is still uh, in the hands uh, of uh, Hamas. Uh, so that is some good news, although eight Americans and countless others, dozens of others, innocent people kidnapped by the terrorist group Hamas remain kidnapped in Gaza. We'll be right back. All There Is, the podcast from CNN's Anderson Cooper, covers a subject that impacts us all, but isn't always easy to talk about. And that subject is grief. In the first season, you might recall, Anderson explored his personal journey with grief after the death of his mother in 2019, as well as the grief he experienced after his father's death and the loss of his brother to suicide at a young age. In the second season of his podcast, which is out now, Anderson continues this journey with his listeners to learn how we can all try to live with grief. He spoke with several different guests, including President Biden. The basement in my house is still filled with boxes of stuff belonging to my mom who died in 2019 and to my dad and brother who died decades ago. Their photographs and letters and notes have been sitting here waiting for me to find the courage to sift through them for nearly a year. I had started to go through the boxes last year during the first season of All There Is, but I had to stop. I found it overwhelming. All this stuff brought up a lot of pain and sadness that I buried long ago as a kid when my dad, Wyatt Cooper, died, and then again when my brother Carter died by suicide. But it turns out grief doesn't stay buried forever. I have never shared uh, anything like this before. I lost my father when I was 10. I was reminded of that this spring when I started listening to more than a thousand voicemails I'd received during the first season of the podcast. I had to grieve the person that I was. We have to endure it. We have to get through it. It took months, but I listened to all your calls, more than 46 hours of messages, and they moved me profoundly. We lost our son, Brad, eight years ago. I want you to know my son's name. Ian Alexander Lahikainen. I learned the names of your loved ones. I heard your pain and your love. And I don't know how to explain it exactly, but it awakened something inside me. And I realize now, for the first time, that I've never really allowed myself to grieve. And in burying that pain, I've also buried my ability to feel joy. And I don't want to do that any longer. I can't. I want to feel all there is. And so that's why I'm doing another season of this podcast. I need to talk with others living with grief and learn from them 
how I can too. I think the impulse, at least for me, was just sort of how do I, how do I fix it? How do I manage it? And none of that works with grief. You can't fix it. You can't manage it. You can't push it away. I was at a grocery store feeling like nobody could see me. And I was just screaming inside. It felt like this unraveling of our family, like to be the only one left and to have no one I could, I could really call and talk to and be like, remember when this happened? In the first episode, I talk with author Francis Weller about what grief can actually do for us in our lives. We're told to buck up, just to get over it, to rise above it. But we're never really taught how to be with it. And in the next episode, I'll talk with President Biden at the White House about his grief and how he's come to live with it. I think it's critical people understand that they're always going to be with you. Your mother's in your heart every single day. Your brother, in your heart, you're there they're every single day. And there'll come a time as you can sort of welcome that, that you have that, that you had that, that it was there. There's a lot I don't understand about grief, but I do know that talking about it is the only thing that makes me feel less alone in it. And I hope it does for you as well. The new season of All There Is starts Wednesday, November 29th, wherever you get your podcasts. I know there are a lot of people experiencing grief who find immense comfort in Anderson's podcast. You can download the premiere of season two of All There Is right now, wherever you get your podcasts. The big news this hour, a second American hostage now in the care of the Red Cross. The ongoing efforts to get even more Americans released from the terrorist group Hamas. That's next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start this hour with some breaking news. Israel says a new group of hostages has been freed. It includes this group, an American citizen. Moments ago, we saw the Red Cross convoy leaving Gaza and entering Egypt. The IDF says this group consists of 14 people. They're headed right now to meet up with Israeli forces. 48-year-old Liat Benin is now the second American released since the start of this pause in the violence between Israel and Hamas, after we saw four-year-old Abigail Idan released earlier this week. Let's get right to CNN's Oren Lieberman, who's in Tel Aviv, and CNN's Jeremy Diamond, who's in Ofakim, Israel. And Jeremy, we're starting to learn more about this new batch of hostages, including this uh, American dual citizen. Tell us more. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, among these uh, 10 Israeli uh, hostages who have been newly freed, there are also four 
uh, Thai nationals who have also been free, but I want to read you some of the names that we are getting. They, they include, as you mentioned, Liat Benin Atsili, that 48-year-old American citizen. She is one of three American citizens uh, that U.S. officials were hoping could be released as part of this deal for women and children. Uh, the other, of course, was Avigail Idan, who has been released. There is still one other American woman believed to be held hostage. Uh, in addition to that, Raz Ben-Ami, 57 years old, Raaya Rotem, Yarden Roman, Amit Shani, Ophir Engel, Gali Tarshansky, uh, and Itai Regev. I want to tell you about two of these individuals. Ra First of all, Raaya Rotem is the mother of Hila Rotem, who was released on Saturday without her mother, despite the fact that they are believed to have been held in captivity right up until a couple days before Hila was released. Israeli officials very much viewed that as a violation of the deal to release uh, the fact that she was released without her mother, but it appears that she has now indeed been released and is on her way to Israel. The other person I want to tell you about here is Yarden Roman. I've spoken with the Roman family several times, and her story is really incredible. She was taken captive on October 7th alongside her husband as well as her daughter. Uh, but at a moment of opportunity, all three of them decided to jump out of the vehicle that they were in, uh, that uh, Hamas uh, militants were driving them towards the Gaza Strip. But she was carrying her daughter initially, but when she realized that her husband could run faster, she handed her daughter to her husband. He was able to get her daughter to safety, but she was unfortunately captured. And now, after more than 50 days of captivity, she has indeed been freed. I also want to tell you, Jake, about the scene behind me. You have dozens of Israelis who earlier today greeted those two Russian-Israeli women who were also freed, not as a part of this uh, main framework between Israel and Hamas, but as part of a separate agreement, it appears, between Hamas and the Russian government. And they are still here, hoping that those uh, now newly freed 10 additional Israeli citizens will make their way here uh, as they head uh, to this air base in front of us and then on their way to hospitals in Israel. So, Oren, um, this most recent pause in fighting is set to expire in hours. Um, how, how likely is an extension uh, looking? The tools and the positions appear to be in place to make that happen, and there is a massive diplomatic effort to try to get it over the line. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is expected to land here any hour now and will hold meetings tomorrow. That's on top of CIA Director Bill Burns, who is in Qatar, and that's where the bulk of the negotiations have happened. Mark Regev, a senior policy advisor to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, was on our air earlier this evening. He said they believe Hamas has at least 20 more women and children, so it seems they have the numbers to extend this truce for at least another 24 or 48 hours. The countries have expressed some level of optimism that it will get there. The Egyptians have as well. Hamas has said they're open to extending the truce, but we need a statement, a definitive statement from the Israelis and Hamas that it will remain in place for at least 24 or 48 more hours. Now, Israel has waited until the hostage transfer has been completed before making statements like that. Crucially, Jake, it does not take a new agreement since it's under the agreement that was already approved by the Israeli government. The question becomes, if you want to extend it beyond that and begin to include elderly men as well as women and men who served in the IDF, does that require a new agreement and how much harder is that to put in place? But right now, the focus on the possibility of extending the agreement we have before us for another day or two, and that's where the focus will be. We'll keep an eye on that throughout the evening here. All right, CNN's Jeremy Diamond and Oren Lieberman in Israel. Thanks so much. Earlier today, I sat down with five American families who had loved ones taken hostage by Hamas, kidnapped. 
They came together in Washington to push lawmakers and the Biden administration to help them get their loved ones back. Um, coming together, they say, not only gives them the solace of being among others who know their pain, but we heard them say that their unity around saving the hostages has changed, at least for now, the, the trajectory of the war. The uh, beginning of the conflict, I think the Israeli government was more focused on going after Hamas. I think the fact that the families have come together. We each feel collectively that we have 240 new family members. And I think the success of the families being together and being able to unite around the hostage issue and getting the people of Israel behind us has changed the perception of the government of Israel, understanding that the only topic that the government of Israel is going to be judged by the population is how many hostages, how fast are they able to get them out. And I think that perception uh, has changed. And I also think the United States and the people of the United States have contributed. Joining me now in studio, Republican Congressman Mike Lawler from New York and Democratic Congressman Jared Moskowitz from Florida. They're both on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and they recently returned from Israel. Uh, Congressman Lawler, uh, let me start with you. You've also met with some of the families uh, of hostages. How much sway do you think the U.S. has in these negotiations? Well, not only have we met with some of these uh, families today uh, here in, in Washington, uh, but over the course of the last you know, 50 days, we, we've met with dozens of families, including when Jared and I were both in Israel. Uh, and uh, I think the families have had a tremendous impact on making sure uh, that this is a priority, both of the Israeli government and the United States government. Uh, and frankly, I think the administration has done a good job on uh, negotiating with uh, Qatar, with uh, Israel, uh, and uh, through Qatar Hamas, to, to get these hostages released. Obviously, we want them all released. We uh, passed a, a bipartisan resolution yesterday, unanimously calling for the release of every hostage. Um, and so we would like to see that done quickly uh, and, and efficiently here. There's some uh, real divisions uh, in your party, uh, the Democratic Party, uh, Congressman Moskowitz, on, uh, on Israel, on aid to Israel, whether there should be conditions on aid to Israel, whether there should be any aid to Israel um, right now. You disagree with those who want to put conditions on aid to Israel. Um, what do you make of the people in, not just critics of Israel, but there are a lot of supporters of Israel, both in the Biden administration and, uh, well, a, a lot of people who think Israel needs to do more to curtail the civilian casualties when they go after members of Hamas. Well, <clears throat> first of all, let me say that, you know, a lot. the reason we're getting these hostages back was because of all of the pressure Israel's been having on Hamas. Hamas didn't just come to the table willingly all of a sudden. Also, the good work of the Biden administration, obviously, trying to get these hostages out, working with uh, our foreign uh, allies. So that's important. You know, look, on my party, last night we saw a big bipartisan vote on Israel's right to exist and any calls for Israel to be eliminated or anti-Zionism being anti-Semitism. So that, that was a big moment that the chamber could come together. But look, there's no doubt that there are differences on the, this, this aid that's coming forward. I disagree with Bernie Sanders. And I can prove that he's wrong. Why? Because when Speaker Johnson came forward with his aid package, with conditions, okay, 
the White House and Chuck Schumer told every Democrat in the House to vote against that. So now we can't go backwards and say, oh, well, well, hold on a second. Now, now we were wrong in the beginning. No, there's going to be no conditions to the aid to Israel. And by the way, there should also be no conditions to the humanitarian aid to the civilians uh, in Gaza. Hamas has not just taken Israeli hostages. They have taken the Palestinian people hostage by using them as human shields. They want Palestinians to die. They want those pictures of those babies so they can feed that as propaganda to, to the rest of the world. And so I'm happy that the hostages are, are getting out. I'm happy to get as many of them as they can. But at the end of the day, Israel needs the tools to continue the mission, which is to eliminate Hamas from the Gaza Strip. Um, let me ask you, Congressman Lawler, CNN got an exclusive first look at a former Republican representative, Liz Cheney's new book. Uh, she calls her former colleagues and party leaders, and I don't think you guys coincided, so she's not talking about you, but she calls former colleagues and party leaders enablers and collaborators with Donald Trump who after the 2020 election were willing to violate their oath to the Constitution out of political expediency and loyalty to Donald Trump. She's concerned about what's going to happen to the party and to the country if Donald Trump gets the nomination, if he gets a reelected uh, president. Look, I think, uh, as I've said uh, repeatedly in 2020, uh, Joe Biden won. Uh, what happened on January 6th was wrong. Uh, and my party needs to focus on the future. They need to focus on the issues that matter to the American people. I won in a district, Joe Biden won by 10 points, uh, that has 70,000 more Democrats than Republicans. That's home to Bill and Hillary Clinton and George Soros. Why? Because I talked about the issues that mattered. Affordability, public safety. We have a migrant crisis. People are tired of the petty grievances. They're tired of the inner party squabbles. Uh, they're, they're tired of the nonsense. They want us to focus and do our jobs uh, that we were elected to do and deal with these issues. And I think all of us have that responsibility. The American people are going to determine who the next president is. Uh, but whoever that is, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Donald Trump or someone else, they need to focus on the future and they need to focus on the American people and they need to cut the crap. So speaking of domestic politics, you got one, you get one too. You've been fired up on House Oversight Committee Chairman uh, James Comer's rejection of Hunter Biden's offer to testify uh, publicly. Uh, I want to play some Comer sound to get you, uh, get you to respond. Well, he'll get a public hearing after he does a deposition. He doesn't get to set the rules. Just because he told the DOJ, the IRS, uh, the National Archives, and every other government agency that's been investigating the Biden for years to stand down doesn't mean he's going to tell the House Oversight Committee what to do. We have sent him a lawful subpoena. So Comer's point is that the normal process is a behind-closed-doors a t deposition, and then maybe he gets to set the rules, then maybe a, a public hearing. Yeah, so listen, uh, you know, Comer and I are clearly on our, on our way to becoming fast friends on, 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 on this subject. He keeps coming up with new adjectives to describe me. What, what did the, he call you the other day, a smurf? He called me a smurf, and now he's on to, to he called me Little Moskowitz yesterday. He had all thanks. Was there a specific smurf he had in mind? Because I, I used to watch the smurfs when I was a kid. Was it Papa Smurf? Was it Brady I don't know smurf? that I'm, I'm either, I'm probably like Grumpy Smurf, maybe. I don't think there was a Grumpy Smurf. I will tell you, I was called Little Lawler when I was growing up. My brother was... Neither of you are tall. Neither of you are tall gentlemen. Neither of you are tall gentlemen. So I, it's okay. I mean, I mean, here you've achieved great things. That's it. We'll see. Um, so look, let me answer that question directly. So at the end of the day, they keep bringing up, oh, the, this is the regular process. Most of the subpoenas that were issued 
in the lat during the Trump administration, during January 6th, all that, most of them wouldn't comply. They fought it in court. They said Congress didn't have the right to do it, right? None of them came forward and said, I would like to come and do this in a public hearing. Hunter Biden has come out and said he will come and comply immediately in a public hearing. The chairman obviously doesn't have a lot of faith in the Republicans that serve on that committee because he, he doesn't want to bring it to the committee. Mm. The American people deserve to hear from Hunter Biden. For a year now, the chairman has gone on Newsmax and Sean Hannity, right? He's gone to people to make them feel comfortable like a wet blanket. And he has painted this picture of Hunter Biden. Let Hunter talk. Bring him to the committee. What is the chairman afraid of? Why is he afraid of transparency? Trump has asked for cameras uh, in the courtroom. No, they want to put Hunter in the basement so they can come out and then tell their side of the story. And that's what we've seen in, in, in these depositions. By the way, if Comer had on, if he had all the evidence on Hunter Biden, yeah. James would want this in front of every TV camera possible. He would sit down with Al Jazeera if he could, if he had all the evidence. But they don't have the evidence, which is why they want to go I'm to the I'm going to give uh, Congressman Lawler the final word here. Look, we saw during uh, the, the first impeachment of President Trump, uh, Adam Schiff using the bunker in the basement to conduct a lot of uh, you know, depositions and then leak a lot of stuff. Uh, I have no problem with Hunter Biden testifying on camera. He should. He should testify uh, in a public setting uh, and answer questions. Uh, there are certainly a lot of questions that have been raised uh, and a lot of information that has been uncovered. The American people ultimately will be the deciding voice in all of this when all is said and done. Um, but if he has nothing to hide, as you're saying, show up and testify. Will you vote to impeach Hunter Biden as first son? I, I don't think we can do that. But look, Marjorie Taylor Greene finds every way to impeach right. somebody. <laughs> I was joking. You can't do that. It was a joke out there. You can't impeach the sun. Anyway, thanks so much, Congressman Moskowitz, Congressman Lawler. Appreciate it. Coming up, Vice President Kamala Harris dispatched to a major summit after criticism of President Biden not going to the summit. But first, the pushback on Congresswoman Liz Cheney's scathing revelations in her book, what some notable Republicans are saying and not saying about her claims. Also ahead this hour, Gail King and King Charles. They will be here just hours ahead of their new CNN show, called King Charles. Charles Barkley is who King Charles is. That's what Philadelphians call him anyway. Stay with us. Former Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney's new memoir has not even been released yet, but some Republicans she writes about in the book are already pushing back. Oath and Honor has gone to number one on Amazon since... Jamie Gangell's amazing reporting yesterday, it was obtained exclusively by her ahead of its December 5th release. Cheney maintains in the book that Donald Trump is a major threat to democracy. She calls many in his party collaborators. She names names. One of them, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who reportedly claimed he only went to Mar-a-Lago after the January 6th Capitol attack, throwing Mr. Trump's career a lifeline because Donald Trump was depressed. He wasn't even eating. CNN's Jamie Gangel is back with more details. So, Jamie, McCarthy and Trump have responded to your reporting yes. about what's in Cheney's book. Yes. I want to note yes. that neither Mr. Trump nor Mr. McCarthy has exactly the best record when it comes to truthfulness, tr truthfulness and accuracy. But that said, yes. what do they have to say? Okay, so no surprise, some big-name Republicans are not happy Sure. with Liz Cheney's book, which, as you say, has gone to number one. 
uh, in the ratings. Which I hope you're getting a percentage, for God's sake. Would that you reporting. stop? Yes. Um, so a spokesman for Donald Trump said that the book belongs in the fiction section of the bookstore, that these are nothing more than completely fabricated stories. He That's also clever. earlier said Very that original. Liz, Liz Cheney's a loser. So also original. With, the, with the Trump. A spokesman. Was that Stephen Chung? It was Stephen. Yeah, because that, that's honestly like I think like that's all his, his all of his responses are just that. It's just he calls the person a loser. Anyway, I'm sorry. I that, just think what Christmas is coming. I'm going to buy Mr. Chung a, a thesaurus. Okay. Anyway, keep going. A spokesman for former Speaker Kevin McCarthy said uh, for Cheney, first it was Trump derangement syndrome. Now it apparently it's also McCarthy derangement syndrome. God, How? Wait, but gone, wait, I, wait. Just, uh, apparently a writer's strike when it comes to politics. Neither one, I would like to note. Denied, nice. <laughs> denied the quotes in the book right. that we have reported. So uh, Kevin McCarthy did not deny that he had said to Liz Cheney that Trump, two days after the election, knew that he had lost. He mm. did not deny your favorite uh, quote that he went to Mar-a-Lago because he, uh, Trump wasn't eating. So two congressmen mentioned in Cheney's book uh, have now issued uh, denials. Tell me about that. Right. So uh, there's this very famous scene in the GOP cloakroom. This is the orange ge- genius G- quote. Jesus. G- orange orange Jesus. Jesus. Right. Your own personal orange Jesus. I've, yes. I've, I've been here too long. And Liz Cheney writes in the book that Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee said as he moved down the line, signing his name to pieces of paper, Green said sheepishly to no one in particular the things we do for the orange Jesus. This is when he's signing his objection to an electoral Correct. account. Yeah. So I just want to note, we reached out to Congressman Green yesterday. We finally heard back from him earlier uh, this afternoon. He says, uh, his state, his spokesman said, sorry, that unequivocally denies making this comment. Yeah. And Jim Jordan, who Cheney quotes is saying, the only thing that matters is winning. He, uh, his spokesman says that Chairman Jordan was always concerned about the legal process for the 2020 election and how states unconstitutionally changed their laws unilaterally. I just want to say one more time, mm-hmm. Liz Cheney draws throughout this book from re- real-time emails, text messages, meetings, personal conversations. Yeah. I know who I believe. Jamie Gangel, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Coming up next, an alleged murder-for-hire plot in New York City with a lot of similarities to a case we have told you about in Canada. And there's a reason for that. Stay with us. In our Law and Justice lead today, today federal prosecutors charged an Indian man in connection with an alleged murder-for-hire plot accusing him of trying to kill sick activists in New, a sick activist in New York City. In an indictment unsealed today, authorities say Nikhil Gupta unknowingly paid an undercover officer $100,000 to target a U.S. citizen and vocal critic of the Indian government. Today, the man believed to be the target of the alleged murder-for-hire plot spoke with CNN about the indictment. Just killing me will not kill my political opinion. Just to kill me physically is not going to work on the contentious issue of the state of Punjab being associated with India or not. The question will still remain whether I'm alive or dead. CNN reached out to the Indian government, the Modi government, for a response, but has not yet heard back. Today's indictment comes after Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said there was credible evidence 
tying the Modi government to the murder of another Sikh activist back in June. India denies any role in that killing. More on that story later this week. In our politics lead, Vice President Kamala Harris in the spotlight is being sent to attend COP28, a global climate summit in Dubai. She is pinch hitting for President Joe Biden after he took some flack for deciding not to attend. Climate change is, of course, one of the top priority issues cited by young progressive voters, voters Biden desperately needs to win re-election in 2024. Let's discuss with our panel. Uh, Kristen Soltis-Anderson, let, let me start with you. We have not seen the White House employee Vice President Harris in too many high-profile moments. What, what do you make of this? Well, she's got a really interesting portfolio in that she's been handed things like the border. They're very challenging. She's been handed things like abortion, which may actually be an issue that plays a bit more to her strengths. And then this issue, climate, is the one where, you know, to the extent that you're viewing her as someone who's supposed to be the one that Biden is the bridge to the next generation, she's that next generation, it makes some sense. But she really has not, I don't think, shown very much. Uh, she's not been a, a rock star in the position of vice president, which is why so many Republicans, they look at Joe Biden and they think, well, we are excited to run against him next year. But they're also not afraid of what happens if Joe Biden steps aside and hands the reins over to her. Michael, this could be a sink or swim moment, not just for the vice president, but obviously for the Biden-Harris ticket. Uh, tell us what a successful outing for her in Dubai would look like. Well, I think talking about the historic climate investments the president and she have made here at home, that progressives, if on paper they take a look at it, would actually love, just like student loans. I don't think they're contexting things enough for people to understand, A, how much actually Democrats agree and on paper like what they're doing. The investments in climate were historic for a president, just like they were for student loan debt, canceling student loan debt. No president has ever made these kinds of investments before. So I would like to see both of them contextualize this for not just young people and progressives, but for the American people. So uh, a Washington Post University of Maryland poll from July found that 57 percent of Americans disapprove of the way Biden has handled climate policy. Um, it obviously doesn't seem to be re resonating with voters. I'm wondering what you know about this issue in terms of how it is resonating with younger voters uh, with whom you would think given the fact that I think just empirically as a fact, Biden has done more on this issue uh, in a way to please, one would think, young progressive voters. It should be resonating with them. I don't know that they're aware of what he's done. Um, Some of the problem is that it, a lot of the climate investments were coming out of the IRA, were in the IRA historic investments. Well, but a lot of the, of the some, one well, of the problems is I don't think what the people rebates, know what the IRA well, is. Well, that's the infrastructure. Uh, yes. No. Inflation Reduction Act. Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. See, I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to give them. Using the term IRA is a problem over. right there. But right. anyway. Well, but the other big problem here yeah. is that on this issue, on the one hand, you've got voters that maybe say Biden hasn't done enough. Climate is an existential crisis. We need to completely radically redo our economy tomorrow. And on the other hand, you have an awful lot of voters, a lot in the center and certainly those on the center right who say, yeah, I think climate's an issue, but like, let's take a pause here. My gas is really expensive. My power bill is going up. These are more immediate priorities to me. And so it's one of those issues that really doesn't split the right, but it does kind of split the left a bit more. Yeah. And that makes it an issue where for Republicans, they, they wind up just not talking we, about it too much. But for Democrats, there's a little bit of a damned if you do damned. We could you know. be having a different conversation in a couple months because a lot of those pro climate provisions are in the form of tax incentives and it's all incentivized, right? right? So a lot of that doesn't take place until next year when we, and when people 
are made aware that they can start taking advantage of those tax incentives. Because the incentives kick in or because you guys start running major ad campaigns on it? That's when they kick in. When they kick in. Mm -hmm. What about the ad campaign? You have to make them, you know, that's the problem. You have to tell the story. Right. To make people aware of the benefits they're receiving. Right. To make it popular. So former President Trump on Truth Social yesterday slammed MSNBC as being a 24-hour Trump hit job saying, quote, our so-called government should come down hard on them and make them pay for their illegal political activity. Much more to come. Watch. I think it is a fair uh, point to make that the American people, and we've tried to talk about this on the show, um, we could be doing more, and we certainly will be doing more, but I think the American people don't have any idea the extreme steps that Donald Trump is out in the open promising to do in a second term, in terms of camps for illegal uh, immigrants, in terms of using the Justice Department to go after his political opponents, in terms of trying to clamp down on free speech. And look, I'm not a particular fan of MSNBC, <laughs> but I think trying to... I think, fi- they're, I think they're used to it after eight years of him attacking but, uh, Comcast. And, but and, that's, that's rather chilling. Uh, it is, but most of the things he says are provocative, which is why he was kicked off of Twitter in the first place, which is why we didn't have to cover these tweets, but now we cover Truth Social. I get it. And he says these provocative things, but like building a wall, he didn't really do it. He can't do it. He never could. And so it juices up his, his friends and his supporters, and it, it says, you know, it makes them feel good. But he can't actually deliver on things like that. There are a lot of things that voters want to see a second uh, Trump term perhaps do. That's why he's performing reasonably well in the polls. But those are things like get the economy going again, right. gas prices get back low again. They don't want an agenda based around revenge. And the more that Donald Trump talks about that as being his number one priority getting into office, revenge against those he feels have wronged him, he's going to be throwing away this advantage that he could well, have. But when polls. you read Truth Social or when you hear him talk in his campaign speeches, is he more focused on the things that voters want him to do or is he more focused on revenge? I think in his gut, he is very focused on revenge at the moment, but I think that he also is aware there are a lot of voters out there that would like to see him focus more on the economy. Which of those two will win it in the tug of war? Uh, that'll be an interesting thing for us to watch. I think the answer year. that you just gave me was revenge. <laughs> Kristen Soltis Anderson, Michael LaRosa, thank you so much. Coming up next, some special guests on the lead. Their names are Gail King and Charles Barkley. That's right. Ahead of their new show. It's called King Hi, Charles. Jake. It has nothing to do with the Habsburg Empire. Premiering tonight here on CNN. Stay with us. In our pop culture lead, billionaire businessman Mark Cuban is reportedly selling off majority ownership of his beloved Dallas Mavericks basketball team. Reports indicate the valuation of the deal is about $3.5 billion. Who better to talk about it with than the co-hosts of CNN's brand new primetime show. It's called King Charles. It debuts tonight at 10 Eastern, only on CNN. One of them I first met at a fancy Manhattan dinner party. One of them I first met at a Wendy's in 1984. You can try to guess which is which. Gail King. At, we and, met at Wendy's. Gail King and Sir Charles Barkley, I, formerly of the Philadelphia. I love Philadelphia. those Frosties. It, I, I, it, was, it was Charles Barkley I met at the Wendy's. I know, I know. He was. Was wearing a, he was wearing a hoodie. It was his freshman year uh, for, uh, at, on the Sixers. Welcome to the lead. We're so excited to talk about your new show. I do have to ask you about Mark Cuban and the deal with Dr. Miriam uh, Adelson. For, for those who don't know, 
She's the widow of Sheldon Adelson, the majority shareholder in the Las Vegas Sands Casino Empire. Charles, what do you make of this deal? No, but Jake, I, what I, before you get to Charles about that, I love how you're thinking because both Charles and I reached out to Mark Cuban separately and said, will you please come on the Amazing. show tonight? So, so you're reading our minds. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, it's, that's a natural because you're both brilliant and, of course, <laughs> better bookers than, than I will ever be. And I already know I'm going to lose all my best guests to you guys on, uh, on, on these days. But what, what, what do you make of it? I mean, a good deal, bad deal? What do, both of you weigh in. Well, I don't think it's a bad deal. I think Mark don't make bad deals. Yeah. He's a tremendous, tremendous friend, first and foremost, but a great businessman. I just hope he stays relevant in the NBA. He's been great for Dallas. He's been great for the Mavs. He's been great for the NBA. I just hope he doesn't take a back seat. Uh, and he's, but he did say he's going to be very involved. Still he in needs Mavericks. to stay involved because Mark is great for sports. And like I say, he's great for the NBA. But do you think he might not be? Uh, I don't he's know. Saying, yeah, he's uh, saying he's still going to be involved yeah. in the Mavericks. Well, that's we just still have to wait and see because you know you yeah. get somebody three point five billion dollars, you probably <laughs> want to do things your own way. Yes, <laughs> you, you might have some ideas. There going to be some changes yeah, around yes. here. He's also leaving Shark Tank. He said in about a year, and he said he went at the time. He said he wanted to spend more time with his family. But I am curious if there's another reason. He says there isn't. But do you we'll think see. he could move into politics, Gail? Because that's something I could see. That him. is a rumor. But, I mean, he, he could be good at it, to be quite honest. And he did all that stuff with the pharmaceuticals. And, and oh, I think he'd be very good at it. What he's done for the in the pharmaceutical industry, he's well-respected. He's well-liked. He's super smart. It wouldn't surprise me if he wanted to get into politics. Have you heard about him wanting to do that? I have been asked that question 50 times since <laughs> yesterday, Jake. Like, I know. I was like, I don't know. I just heard about the sale. But people think he's getting into politics. I personally would be happy because i think he's a wonderful guy yeah and i think we need another party uh independent uh, uh we really do i think he would be tremendous uh i don't know if he's i mean uh, this is a really quick turnaround because we're less than a year from the next presidential election so i, I would be that's a really quick turnaround to try to get a, a group together but he would be tremendous mark is going to be successful at anything he whatever does. he does yes yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining that this is this Cuban and his business dealings and his and his future. This just is like a, a small snapshot of the kind of thing you two are going to be diving into in your new show, King Charles. Tell us more uh, about what people can expect. Well, I think uh, tonight, uh, the debut, uh, we're going to have Fat Joe on to talk about the, the trial going on in Atlanta about whether uh, not just rappers but any musician. Lyrics should be used against them. I think that's a fascinating conversation. We're going to have Laura Coates on. She's an amazing lawyer, obviously, at CNN. Uh, that, to me, is a fascinating subject because I don't really know the right or wrong answer. Uh, we're going to have Steve Kerr on. I don't think you should tell him anything else because we want people to watch. Yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. going to tell you, Jake. We're not okay. going to tell you. Okay, that's fine. But, but I, I do think you should know this. We're going to talk about stuff that we think is interesting, stuff that's in the news, whether it's pop culture, whether it's politics, whether it's sports. Of course, you have a world-class athlete here in the house. Used to be. No, you're still a world. You should see when this man walks on the street, the people lose their minds talking about sports with him. Okay. So, I mean, we're going to cover all the topics that are interesting to us. We'd like to think it's a place you come just to get, we've been saying in the promos, unfiltered conversation. And I think that's part of it. But we just want to have fun and give people a break. I think it's great. I mean, I, would, I can't imagine anything better than just listening to you two have a conversation. Because 
separately i've had conversations with we with can't both either i know <laughs> yeah. i mean like you're both brilliant raconteurs and like it it, it really is uh no that's nice J of you to Jake, say number one i want to thank you for putting dynamic duo up on that screen but also <laughs> I, you know me and gail have been talking for the last 48 hours because there's an article out how much we hate each other what I, I was i was yeah we hate each other we've been bickering we've been bickering behind the scenes so we're going to try to cover it up and put on a great show. That's people just trying, yeah, that's trying to be, that's people stirring the pot. But Jake, I know we got to go because we only have five minutes and 45 seconds. But bravo to you and your dad, C.J. Oh. Rice, because of the article that you and your dad wrote. I'm sure you've talked about it on your show. We talked about it a little bit, and I saw that you talked about it on, on CBS Yeah, on this morning. CBS Mornings, yes. You're, bravo, you're, bravo to thank you, you and your well, dad. Thank you. Well, his, his conviction story. was overturned. And, and thank you so much for, for having us on to talk about it last October, and, and we're so grateful to you, Gail. You did an update with your amazing team yesterday, and uh, hopefully um, hopefully he'll be out in a, in a couple months. So it's, I it's hope really so, amazing. and I hope you'll come back and bring him. I, oh, we like you, Jake Tapper. I will. hope you'll come back and bring him. Yes, and Seriously. Sir Charles, you know what? He's a huge Sixers fan, so <laughs> we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you take us to a Sixers game sometime because that, he deserves it, and he, writes, he and my dad write letters to each other about, oh, nice. about the team. So I'm going to make you take us to a game. Look how he's saying he's going to make Jake, you. Jake, I would, I would take you and your dad and this young man. I would love to take you all to a Sixers game as my guest. All right. Oh, nice. That's wonderful. Nice. Gail King, nice. Charles Barkley, thank you both. I'm so psyched that you're part of the CNN family. Thank you for having us. Us too. And thank you, you guys Jake. at home, catch the premiere of King Charles tonight at 10 o'clock Eastern right here on CNN. You are not going to want to miss it. The lead is back in a moment. In our health lead, startling new data from the CDC today showing the number of deaths by suicide in the United States reaching a record high, a record high in 2022. CNN Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta is here with me now. Sanjay, a record high. What else did this report find? Well, let, let me give you some of these numbers. And the bad news is the record high, as you, as you mentioned, Jake. So what does that mean? It meant roughly a rate of 14.3 suicides per 100,000 people. So just think about that. If you live in a community of 100,000 people in 2022, 14 people would have died by suicide in your community. It's not equal across the country, but that's the, the sort of national average. If you add up all the number of suicides, what they found was it was around 49,000, close to 50,000 people who, who died by suicide in 2022. Also, I, I found something really interesting, Jake. The last time it was this high was back in 1941. So we went back and looked what has been going on in the United States. And that's a little bit of a reflection of what has been happening with suicide in this country, just to give you an idea. So you can stare at that for a second and say, okay, so early 2000s, we had a real, real low, and then it's been sort of steadily increasing since then. What's been happening in the country during that time? That's one of the, one of the questions people ask. Let me give you a little bit of good news in all this. It's not great news, but a little bit of good news. Children and teens, if you look at the youngest people who were studied, who were part of this survey, you find that actually over this past year, the numbers have gone down among 10 to 10 to 14 year olds, 15 to 24 year olds, and 25 to 34 year olds. But Jake, something seems to happen around mid thirties. That's when you start to see the numbers actually start to flip. And that's what accounts for most of the increase in suicides over this past year, Jake. Huh, was there any insight on the breakdown when it comes to, to gender or race? 
Yeah, it, it's really interesting. So the increase uh, among women was, was higher this past year, but still men are overall much more likely rate per 100,000 uh, to die by suicide versus women. And if you look specifically at race, they broke this down as well. You saw um, the, the five different races, Alaskan, Natives, American Indians, they were the highest, higher than the national average, then whites, then blacks, Hispanics, and then Asians. People over 75, Jake, highest rate overall. Uh, as far as why such a difference between men and women, it's not clear. I mean, these are complicated sort of surveys, as you might imagine. But one thing that seems to distinguish the United States versus other countries is just that they may have the same number of attempts at suicide in many other developed countries, but completion much higher in the United States, probably because of the types of methods, including firearms, which right. are just much more readily available. Access to firearms. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank yeah. you so much. If you or anyone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or mental health issues, please remember the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available all the time, 24-7. The number to text or to call is 988. Again, that number is 988. There is help for you. There is love for you. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.